my schedule always loaded. I can't remember the day of this week that my wife was trying to hurry me. I can't remember. She said, you need to go now. I said, sweetheart, I have four different messages to preach between now and Sunday. And I need to write all of them out. <laughs> because it came to my study. And it was like, I think that was maybe Thursday or so. I was supposed to speak at the G1 forum here at 10 a.m. And I think it was quarter to 10. It takes me like 10 minutes or so from my house to this place. My wife was like, you're not dressed. <laughs> I said, I just made Sunday, this message for Sunday. I'm going to preach at G1 Forum. After that, I'm going for a meeting with some consultants. And I head out to Obafemi Olo University, Ife, to preach all through the weekend. I got back 9 p.m. last night. I said, I have so many things to still sort out. So obviously, driving down to G1 Forum to speak, will be with some speed. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And I do that more often than not, sincerely. I'm just being true. I try as much as possible to be careful on the road, uh, but I'm kind of usually in a hurry. And God has always been merciful to me. <laughs> The next time I zoom past you, you know the only thing is that there are no speed limits on this road. At least none that... Uh... Okay, maybe I'm making a mistake. I don't see them. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't, I'm not about to mislead anybody, but they're not that conspicuous. I tried not to do more than like, um, like 80 and that's about 60 miles or so an hour, which on a road like this should be okay. All I'm saying this morning is that our God keeps us even when we're unfaithful. It's not an excuse to be unfaithful, but when we have the privilege to say thank you, we should say thank you. Are you still with me this morning? Yeah. When we have that privilege to say thank you, we should still say thank you. Lift your right hand with me this morning. I say, thank you, Lord, for keeping me. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that I see from time to time. Thank you for this year, this first Sunday of the month of November. I'm here in the gathering of your people. So just say, thank you, Jehovah. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. And thank you for your mercy. For your hand over my family, I say, thank you. For your blessings over my, myself and my spouse, I say thank you. For divine health for our children, I say thank you. For always staying with me and leading me, I say thank you. For all that could have gone wrong that you turned around, I say thank you. I may not be where I want to be. I may not have everything that I hope for, but you are the only one reason why everything has not gone south. And while I can still look at one or two things and be grateful. Lift your two hands to him this morning. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for your presence over this gathering. We ask that you pervade and permit this atmosphere with your power and with your glory. As we proclaim your word this morning, back it up with your power. Let it be filled with grace. Let no one be the same again. We receive the same grace over our children and their classes. We ask that you inspire the teachers to be a blessing to them. Lord, this morning, if there's anyone under the influence of this service who is yet to know you, the way they ought to know you, we ask that you touch their heart. Lord, we receive healings here this morning. Let there be radical transformations. Let your name be glorified in the precious name of Jesus. Say better, amen. amen. Can I ask that you join me in the book of Luke chapter 14? Luke chapter 14, and I'll read from verse 15. If you have a Bible, please turn, in, turn there. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, then it shall be displayed on the screen. But I encourage that you get a Bible. The Bible is now one of the cheapest that you can get because the Bible applications are free. So if you have any device that can take apps, there's so many Bible apps that are free. So it's not even about money now. It's about being conscious of it that I need to have a Bible that I can read from time to time. Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, and I'll read from verse 15. And when, now when one of those who sat at the table with him had these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 16. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent a servant at supper, at supper time, to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. Somebody say excuses. Oh, I need you to help me preach this morning. Say excuses. So they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I asked you to have me excused. Verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. I ask to have me excused. We see that word again. Verse 20. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So That servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry. Somebody say angry. Well, come and say it with me again. Say angry. Angry. Bible says, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, master, It is done as you commanded, and still there's room. Verse 23. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you, that none of those who were invited shall taste my supper. The Lord bless the reading, and more so the doing of his word. I would say, believe in amen. I'm speaking this morning, on this first Sunday, the month of November, 
on what I've titled, what is your excuse? What is your excuse? And if you have many excuses, then you can decide to change it, especially if you are writing stuff down, to say, what are my excuses? In this passage of the scripture that we read, uh, through this parable that Jesus gave, we have a little bit of insight into the disposition of the kingdom of God towards excuses. The disposition of the kingdom of God towards excuses. We have been on a campaign which we call Mission 555. If you haven't been here a while, this may sound a little strange to you. Mission 555, uh, which we're rounding off today, but we know that the steering and the encouragement towards the fulfillment of the Great Commission continues because it's a lifelong calling for us who are born again, who are believers in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus said in Matthew 28, go ye into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's, that's the Great Commission. It's part and parcel of our lives. And if you've been here this morning, we've thought about uh, us being contagious Christians, that we're light, the light of the world, and the salt of the earth. If you've not been here, I encourage that you get those messages and listen to them. But as we round off this series of teachings and encouragement and, you know, simulation and sharing and motivation and inspiration this month, I need you to understand that this is a lifelong journey for a fully devoted follower of Christ. If you want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, you must make up your mind to always represent the kingdom of God. And as I examine the disposition of some of us over the last few weeks, because somebody may be here, you've been in church maybe twice, maybe three times, maybe once in the last uh, uh, one month or five weeks, and yet you have not been able to open your mouth to talk to anybody about Christ or do anything to suggest that. We've given out you know, conversation starters, cards, invite, mission 555, pray for five, speak to five, invite five. Somebody all through this month, you are yet to pray for one person who is not saved, let alone speaking to them or inviting them. And you have all your excuses in place. But I need you to understand that the kingdom of God has a disposition towards excuses. Because it's a very dangerous weapon in the hand of the devil. Ladies and gentlemen, the devil doesn't have power over you. One of the whims and caprices of the devil is what we call excuse. When the devil wants to stop you from doing the will of God for your life, what he does is to give you an excuse. The reason why it's not convenient, the reason why it has to be postponed, and then before you know it, even though the devil lacks power over you, inadvertently, he starts to exert some influence over you because you are pandering towards his suggestions to make excuse, make an excuse. So in this parable, Jesus showed us the disposition of the kingdom of God towards excuses. That God has zero tolerance for excuses. Zero tolerance for excuses. Some people here, the reason why we're not pulling our weight in our careers the way we're supposed to, because you need to make the parallel, the connection between what I'm speaking about this morning, even though I'm you know, sharing us for the last time uh, this period, on why we must obey 
the Great Commission, you need to be able to draw the line and the connection. Because some people here this morning, the reason why you're not pulling your weight maritally is still an excuse. You have one thing to say why this marriage is not where it's supposed to be. Somebody here this morning, you have a reason why you've not started the business that God has put in your heart. Thank God we're going to the Enterprise Development Month. I'm trusting God that in this new month, God is going to push you into destiny. I will say a better amen. amen. Somebody here has the reason why many excuses why you have not taken that course that you need to take so that you can be on a fast lane to career advancement. It's just an excuse. A PhD takes max, if you're not very slothful, five years at the, at the most. Whether you decide to go for it now or not, five years will come and gone. If you're 45 now, and you're saying it's because you are, you are too old for it, in five years' time, you'll be 50, and you'll be without PhD. <laughs> but you'll be 50. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Oh, I, I, if only I can get this professional qualification, I know my career, you know, I'll be positioned to earn more or to be better or to get to that point in life. And yet, you're not doing it simply because you have an excuse for not, you know, pushing ahead. The truth is that if it takes six months, six months will come and go. If it takes one year to do it, one year will come and go. You will have advanced in age, but you won't have the requisite skill that can position you for where God wants to take you. Is somebody say with me today? Can you tap your neighbor for me one more time? Say, what are your excuses? Because there will always be an excuse uh, for whatever you really don't want to do. There's a Yaddish proverb that says, if you don't want to do anything, one excuse is as good as another. Don't want to do anything. One excuse is as good as another. But I need you to understand this morning that the kingdom of God has zero tolerance. I'm talking about the workings of God. One of the greatest ways by which we challenge God to move in our lives is to deal with our excuses so that his power can come upon us to do something differently. If I have an excuse, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, God, don't bother about me. This change that's supposed to come, postpone it because I have my reason. I have a good excuse. I, I, all you are saying is, Lord, take your power away from, from my life. Because I know why uh, uh, this thing cannot be now. But if only we will come alive to the fact that God is a supplier of grace. And whatever he wants to do in our lives, he can supply the grace for us to be able to do it if only we would deal with our excuses. So in, in John, Gospel according to St. John chapter 5, you read the story of the man, the Bible says he was impotent in his faith. And he was, a, well, you know, he would stay around this pool. Very interesting story. Stay around the pool. The Bible says in that season, what happens is that the angel will come, stay at the pool. So you had a, a, a you know, a congregation of people with needs. Blind, the lame, the, you know, they stay around there hanging in for the angel to come. And then whoever gets into the pool first, after the staring of the angel, 
will receive a miracle. I don't know how that was working out for them, but that was what was happening. And then, one day, I mean, this man has been around there for years, and his excuse was that he was impotent in his feet. So, people were always getting to the pool before him. Now, God decided that I want to, you know, operate with this guy with prerogative of mercy. And then Jesus showed up. The man who created the pool and the angel that steers it showed up and then stood in front of this guy and asked him the question, would that be made whole? Do you want to be? Do you want to walk? You know what the guy said? Eh, it's not my fault. It's because um, I can't walk. So everybody always gets there before me. And I, I sense in my spirit, Jesus was like, what you call the crab? I created the pool, the angel, and everything. And I'm asking you a question and you're still giving me an excuse. God knows everything. When he asks you a question, it's not because he wants you to explain anything. Just answer once and let's, let's move on. And Jesus just caught him, you know, straight and just, all right, take your bed and let's go. And I sense in my spirit there's an anointing over this service this morning for someone here to actually face your excuse and say, enough, 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 enough. Because I feel that God is visiting you here this morning. God is visiting somebody here this morning. Now, I need us to also draw a parallel. Whatever happens this month, for somebody here not to be able to break free from whatever holds you down, from being able to talk to somebody about Jesus and all the excuses you have given, it's just, you know, the summary of it is that you are creating a conducive environment around your life for more excuses to be perpetrated. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. That's why I wanted to connect this message this morning to the different areas of life, not just this one. Because excuses are never our friend. They take us far away from maximizing destiny and maximizing grace and being in the center of the will of God for our lives. That's what excuses, you know, do. Is somebody still with me this morning? When we look through the Bible, we see all kinds of excuses from this passage of the scripture that we just read. Can you imagine somebody saying, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I've not tried it. I want to go and try it. Who buys a car without test driving it? It's just an excuse. A yoke of oxen is like, um, you know, like a head-moving equipment. You know, all those uh, uh, tractors or big ones. So he said, I, I just bought five. <laughs> Somebody said, I just bought land and I've not seen it. How do you buy land in Lagos without seeing it? <laughs> I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. They were just giving excuses. I just got married. <laughs> and Jesus was saying, look, you can always make excuse for anything that you don't want to do. And he called, uh, he said, the, the master of the house called the servant and said, you know, forget about all these people. 
It's a special privilege for them that we're inviting them. Go and bring in anybody that is available for the feast. We're going to have the feast anyway, and that's how life plays out. In the kingdom of God, there's zero tolerance for excuses. Whenever we get into excuse, grace passes us by. It just, you know, go over us. It will just go over us to the next available person. Next available, next available, next available. Somebody stay with me this morning. I said, are you still with me this morning? So all through the Bible, we see many excuses that people gave. You know, uh, I'm not an orator. I'm not learned enough to be able to fulfill the will of God for my life or do this or do that. Somebody may even say, I don't have anything to offer. The Bible says, the God of all grace that we serve has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. I'm too old or I'm too young. Sarah said in the book of Genesis, telling God as if he didn't know, I'm too old to give birth to the child of promise. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1 says, I'm too young. God said, before, I knew you, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. Verse 3 to 5 of Jeremiah chapter 1. I'm, you're not too young for what I want to do because I have my plans for your life. Somebody may be saying, I'm too old for this. I'm too young for that. God will never take such excuses from us. God has zero tolerance for excuses. What about contemporary reasons that people give, especially for not fulfilling the Great Commission or sometimes for not doing something at all? One, I don't have enough time. I hashtag that busy. <laughs> I don't have enough time. You know what? God has given all the time in his, at his disposal. He doesn't create more. 24 hours is 24 hours. You choose what will go into it. And it, it boils down to what we call priorities. How have you prioritized the kingdom of God? How have you prioritized, for instance, your marriage? Because if you have, I mean, if it's high priority for you, then you will do something that will bring improvement. How have you prioritized your career advancement? If that's, you know, where you need to also draw a connection this morning. But don't forget, I'm challenging us primarily about this thing that we call soul winning. Because there are always people around us that God positioned around us for the purpose of being able to reach them and remind them of the kingdom of God and sow a seed in their heart. Some people will say, I'm afraid of failure. That's fear of rejection. And you see, the problem is that it's always about me and how I want to protect my self-esteem or protect, you know, my emotions. When Jesus hung on the cross, his emotion was not the primary focus. His primary focus was the redemption of humanity. If it was about his emotions, Isaiah 53, the Bible says, he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. They spat on him. They made fun of him. You know they blindfolded Jesus and then they slapped him. I said, you are a prophet. Tell us who slapped you. That was the kind of ridicule that he was subjected to. So if it was about, his dying on the cross was not an emotional decision. And if it wasn't an emotional decision, then I should not bring it to that level when I need to carry on to do my part of it. 
Is somebody still with me today? I said, are you still with me today? And as believers, please, I'm charging us this morning because I believe there's grace on this service to help somebody to break the hold of excuses over your destiny. Some of us here, all you actually need to do is to choose to obey the word of God and practice obedience to the word of God. You will just realize that there will be corresponding change, for instance, in your career. The reason why somebody here is a bad manager at work this morning is because you are not as assertive as you should be. And you excuse it on your temperament. You know, I'm not that kind of person, you know. And it's the same excuse you give God when God says, talk to your friend. Advise him about his way of life. Some of the bad managers around town today are people who have not been able to develop themselves in leadership enough to know when to confront issues. There are issues, you know, not to sweat about, but there are issues that a leader must take up headlong and do something about. So you are running a team, and somebody says, um, so-and-so person said so-and-so thing, and it's brought to your attention. And all you can say is that, oh, don't mind him. He didn't mean it. And then somebody else says, oh, so-and-so person says so-and-so thing. And then you still cannot say, look, I think I need to confront this. And pick your phone and call so-and-so person and say, "Um, can we see? I need to discuss something with you. How many of us have worked with people like that before? You report, report. After a while, you're tired. You just know we have a leader who is not a leader. And such people cannot really progress in their careers. If you are a true leader, you need to face issues and deal with issues. Leaders are created to swallow frogs. <laughs> That's what makes a leader. How do you swallow a frog? You open your mouth, close your eyes, and let them drop it. You take it in. I mean, that's, that's, that's to scare you, but... <laughs> but what I mean by swallowing a frog is confronting very naughty and dangerous issues that if you have your way, you will run away. And it starts by practicing with things like this. How easy for you to meet a stranger on the road and say, oh, how are you doing? Are you, do you know Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior? Because I care less what a stranger says to me anyway. I hope you understand what I'm saying. So, dealing with fear or failure in that uh, regard or rejection is not a big deal. But I'm saying that we use such things to practice for deeper things. And the reason why some of us are not confronting deeper issues is because we are not practicing with smaller issues. As a pastor, I know leadership is not easy. The better the leader, the better the people. Organizations spoil because people don't take responsibility. So, you say, uh, Pastor, you know some people just think that it's easy for you to report anything to Pastor and he will do something about it. Yeah. So, a lady approaches me and says, I think my husband is in adultery and you have to do something about it. In my heart, I'm saying, if only you know how difficult this may be. Because it takes more than God to sit across the table 
with a man and say, sir, you are cheating on your wife. But that's what a leader would do. And I'm saying that God tries us with little things. And when we're faithful in that, it gives more grace and more boldness. Some of us here this morning, there are things that belong to you by destiny. Other people are sharing it. They are giving excuses. And God is trying you with small things to gain and develop boldness so you can assert yourself and claim your right. I'm here this morning talking because of you. And I wanted to leave this service trusting God they are going to do something differently, especially with soul winning, because it translates into other areas of your life. The reason why some people don't share the gospel is because they find it difficult to confront and talk. Am I saying the truth? Some people say, I'm not inspired or moved by the Spirit. You know, Christians are given all kinds of funny excuses. I'm not moved by the Spirit. <laughs> it's the same Spirit that said, when so? He said, you're not moved by Him. And if the Spirit of God lives on your inside, that means it's always with you. Am I saying the truth? Alright, so if I hold the hand of my wife and I'm walking across the road, who is holding who? We're walking on Remyolo Udeway now. I'm holding the, the, the hand of my wife. Who is holding who? We're holding each other, isn't it? If she doesn't move me, can't I move him? Move her. Eh? All right. That's what I'm saying. If the spirit doesn't move you, move the spirit. Because you are filled with the spirit. Anyway, you are holding each other. Yeah. If the spirit doesn't move you, move the spirit. Praise God. I said praise God. Some people give, give other excuses. I don't have unbelievers as friends. If you have been saved... For between 5 to 10 years, there's a possibility that you won't have many unbelievers as friends again. Except you work in an environment where you have to interact with people and develop friendship. Because some people here have been saved for over 10 years. Now, when we scroll your phone, all we see are pastors, evangelists, prophets, apostles. Those are your friends. You are not essentially a good Christian because of that. Because Christ wasn't like that. I hope you are still with me. Because some people think it's when you have only Christians in your uh, social circle and circle of influence, that's where you are a very good Christian. No! Hear it from my mouth this morning. I'm your pastor. No! Jesus was called friends of, friend of sinners and wine babas. It was because he didn't limit his social circle of influence to religious people only. He was able to cut, he, he cut a cross. You know, different strata in the social sphere. Meeting, you know, different people. Paul said, I became many things for the sake of many that I may win some to Christ. So when I'm with Gentiles, yeah, I'm more like a Gentile. Now I'm with Jews. Now we need to draw the line because you need to know the level of your strength. Because you can say, Pastor said, and then this Friday, let's hang out at the club, you know, what I'm saying, so that I can be with the boys and then. And instead of converting them, they may convert you. And then you come next Sunday, I say, Pastor, it's not working. 
It doesn't work that way. Now, this is what I mean. Some of us here are still struggling with certain things. Don't essentially go to where those things are. If you're still struggling with fidelity, for instance, as a married man or a married woman, then don't go and hang out with a man. Don't go and hang out where babes are in high supply and, uh, you know, the thing is moving around and, you know, it's, and they're throwing themselves at you. He says, because I want to be friends with friends of sinners. <laughs> because you're going to put yourself into trouble that way. So you know what you're weak and where you're strong. I hope you understand what I'm saying. So this is not a license to go and sit in a club and, you know, and then they are offering you, you know, before we know it, we don't know whether you are drinking Coke or vodka because the vodka is, is, uh, is Coke in your vodka, no? not the other way around, whichever. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And you are sipping the thing in and after a while you start seeing visions. He says, just because I want to hang out. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. So we can hang out and know that, see, this place that I'm, I'm in, I know why I'm here. It's for the sake of the gospel. I can cope with their shenanigans, but I'm going to create an opportunity to talk. And I know when to leave. And if I'm not comfortable, I'm going to leave before something will go wrong. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying this morning. But much more than that, you must have all kinds of people, your circle of influence. God will always bring it to your heart. Talk to this person. Reach out to this person. You know, talk to this person about Christ. The Great Commission continues, even though Mission 555 may be coming to an end as a campaign for our church for this year. So promote Jesus at every opportunity and take up the challenge of being a world-class Christian. If you forget everything I've said this morning, don't forget this. Take up the responsibility of being a world-class Christian. How do I mean? World-class Christians know they were saved to serve and made for a mission. Saved to serve, made for a mission. Can we say that together? Saved to serve, made for a mission. Let's say it one more time. Saved to serve, made for a mission. For the last time, saved to serve, made for a mission. That's the mindset of a world-class Christian. World-class Christians are the most fulfilled people on the face of the earth because there's something about doing good. It releases some things, some, you know, into your system, some chemical into your system that just makes you feel good. It's better than the feeling of being high on anything. When you do the works of Jesus... That's an effect that it creates in your soul. So what kind of Christian will you be? Very good question. A world-class Christian shifts from self-centered thinking to other-centered thinking. And how, what's the best way to see that reflection in your life? It's about what you pray about. If you cannot remember the last time you prayed for something that's not your personal need, you're still far from being a world-class Christian. Pray for other people. We said, practice it this month. Pray for five people. Pray for the needs of others. Jesus said, 
in uh, the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, pray after this man. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. After all that, then our daily bread. Some people, daily bread is where we start from. Thy kingdom come. Where is the place of the kingdom? Thy will be done on earth. So I live in the city of Lagos. That reminds me to pray for Lagos that the will of God be done in the city of Lagos. That the will of God be done in Nigeria. That the will of God be done in Liberia. That people will stop dying of Ebola. That's the word Christ Christian. That God will move over Iraq and Syria and break the hold of ISIS. And let his kingdom come there. On earth. Because that's still part of heart. And he says, I should do that before I start to ask him about the new car that I want. Glory be to Jesus. Shift from local thinking to global thinking. So remember to pray for nations, pray for cities, pray for people all across the world. Somebody say, Pastor, that's getting too far. Yes. You say that you are going to go that far or you won't go anywhere. That's how the kingdom of God is. The Bible says the kingdom of God is likened to a yeast. You put it there and it takes over the whole thing. Jesus wants to engulf your life. The earlier you give him the right of way, the better. That's how to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Glory be to Jesus. I said glory be to Jesus. Shift from right here and now thinking to eternal thinking. Very important. I preached a message last Sunday that talked about eternity. Five things you should know about eternity. If you are not here, get that message. Even if you are here, you need to get it. Something that you should listen to from time to time. Shift from thinking of excuses to creating, I mean, to creative thinking to fulfill your mission. There are creative ways to go about it. Yeah. From the screensaver on my laptop or workstation at work that says something about a core belief of mine. It doesn't have to carry the name of Jesus. It's just a core belief. To my sign off for my email that says something about my core belief. As simple as I believe in eternal life. And it's my belief. There's nothing you can do about it. If you're angry about it, ask me a question. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Simple and creative ways to promote Jesus at every opportunity. Lastly this morning, an Elevation Church, I need you to hear me now. This is the most important thing I'm going to say now. I, I, I'm emphasizing this because you won't say I didn't tell you this as your pastor. You won't, you won't say I didn't tell you this. When we stand before God, I want you to be able to hold me to say, you told us this one. This one, this one is very important. This one is very important. Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse number 16. Just three verses. I bring this to a close. This is very important. This, can, can I have that scripture, please? It says, Now it came to pass at the end of the seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. He says, when you say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you give him no warning. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you give him no warning. Now speak to warn the wicked 
from his wicked ways to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require in your hand. This word was spoken to prophet Ezekiel. One thing I'm not sure about is whether God has changed his mind about it. So what was he saying? If I make you a watchman, I prompt your heart, I ask you to talk to somebody and you refuse and the man dies or the woman dies in his or her wickedness. He said, this blood I will require from your hand. I'm not sure if God has changed his mind. I just thought I should bring it to your notice this morning. So you won't say that my pastor never mentioned it. Perhaps you never read the book of Ezekiel before. This was spoken to prophet Ezekiel. But whether he has changed his mind about me and you coming under the same thing, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I need you to come to terms with that. Like I said in the last service, one of the greatest regrets that I've had in my Christian walk was when the Holy Spirit held me up with this. I lived with a young man in a block of terrace. I think, uh, was it three or four of us? Was it three or four of us? Four of us. But it's, it was next door to me. He moved in just about three months before, or two months before me. We connected. We spoke. I was at his wedding. We talked casually from time to time. My wife and I and my family, we lived in that apartment for about four years or so. And then, God blessed us, we moved into another apartment. And then two, three years down the line, this happened maybe about four, five years ago. On Christmas Day of that particular year, I got a call. A co-neighbor called me. So-and-so person was riding his motorbike, power bike on Tom Milan Bridge. On Christmas Day, he was coming to Lekki here to, to greet his family. He crashed on Tom Milan Bridge. Broke whatever can be broken to the point that he had to be flown abroad on emergency medical care. And, cut the long story short, he passed on. When I got the call, a so-and-so person passed on. For the first time in my life, the Holy Spirit confronted me. He said, God, man, try to remember that you share the gospel of Jesus with this person once in the four years or so that you lived with him. And I couldn't. I broke down. I wasn't only crying that he's departed and gone. He was departed and gone. I was crying for myself. Because for the first time, the Holy Spirit actually confronted me to ask me, those all the time you spent together with this guy, did you ever once just ask him about his salvation status? I knew he wasn't saved. We, we you know, we crack jokes together, did this, did. sometimes we'll be washing his car, we'll be washing my car, and the frontage of the house is just a low fence dividing, and we'll be gisting and talking. He had issues with his wife, his wife approached me, I spoke to her, I tried to intervene, you know, but Jesus, gospel, eternal life, I couldn't just remember. I settled it with God, but anytime I remember, it breaks my heart. I'm just trusting God that maybe while he was on the hospital bed, somebody spoke to him. I'm not even sure how I'm going to confront him when we meet in heaven. Because I think when he sees the goodness of heaven, he will say, Pastor, you almost made me miss this. How come? Four years and you never spoke about this. Is there any of us in my shoes today? You don't have to let it go my own way. It doesn't have to become a regret like mine is. And I say it with all sense of responsibility. 
Even though I'm very shameful. I mean, it's very shameful. Because I, I, I feel that time I should know better. Yours doesn't have to go that same way. I'm asking. Just, we become aware of our responsibility to bring unsaved souls to Jesus. So mission 555 may be coming to an end, but our responsibility in the Great Commission is a lifelong responsibility. Can you bow down your heads one moment this, this morning? Glory to Jesus. Somebody lift your right hand with me and just ask God, Lord, help me not to fail you. Help me to play my part. Somebody here this morning, I want you to speak to God about the excuse that you have. Someone here this morning, your marriage is in trouble and you are holding on to a particular excuse. You need to break that excuse this morning and just tell God, give me the grace to overcome this excuse. Someone you know, one thing you can do right now to move your life forward faster or you have an excuse for it, for not doing it. Someone you know that many people, God, are bringing, God is bringing them, you know, across your path right now so that you can speak to them about Jesus. But yet, you have your excuses. God is saying that must come to an end right now, right now, right now. The elevator.